This idea that you are not only, as a Christian, forgiven of your sins and given Jesus' own record applied to your account, given his righteousness, but you're brought into a new family. Just like Eliana has been brought into the Crider family and is a Crider, so also we are brought into God's family and we have all the privileges of sons and daughters of God. And that privilege only gets greater as time moves on. Adoption only gets better. And so this week, would you please give your attention as we look at shame. Would you stand together if you're willing and able? I'll read from verse 27 of chapter 3 and down through verse 7 of chapter 4. This is the very Word of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the dates set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated, please. There is no need for me to ask you if you battle with shame. I don't even have to ask you that. Because shame is a part of every person's story. Shame is feeling inadequate, unable. Shame is feeling worth less. It's comparing yourselves to others, and in comparison to them, you feel your worth is less than theirs. Shame has a crippling grip on you because it runs deeper than guilt, because shame often stays and dwells longer than it's welcome. Shame Shame takes us down one of two paths, slavery or sonship. A friend of mine was telling me not long ago about what it's like to be in seventh grade. And they were getting ready for the homecoming parade and they were decorating the parade and everybody was there. The cheerleaders were there and the palm squad was there and they were adorning this parade for homecoming and they were using napkins, dinner napkins, to decorate this float and they ran out and so they looked at one boy in the seventh grade and they said hey would you run down to the corner store and pick up some napkins for us 
And so he went to the corner store, and when he came back, he came back with boxes full of sanitary napkins. My friend didn't know what sanitary napkins were, and this boy who brought back these napkins to help obviously didn't know what they were. He was just trying to be helpful, but everybody was laughing at him. And my friend said, listen, I don't know what happened or what that even was, but I don't want to be in his position. Shame. Shame takes us down one of two paths, slavery or sonship. This year, Vanderbilt made the NCAA basketball tournament. Vanderbilt was in the first round of March Madness. And Vanderbilt's best player on their team is a man named Matthew Fisher Davis. Matthew Fisher Davis on that first Thursday night of the tournament was the best player on the court. He scored more than anybody else scored. He was all over the place. He had an incredible game. And Vanderbilt, with only seconds left in the game against Northwestern, went up by one point. And Matthew Fisher Davis... When the Northwestern guard had the ball dribbling down the court with only seconds left, he ran up and he fouled the player. And he made a grave mistake because Matthew Fisher Davis forgot the score. They were up by one, and they were almost certain to win. And the Northwestern player goes to the line and puts up two free throws and makes them both. And Northwestern wins the game. And on ESPN, all the media pundits had a heyday with Matthew Fisher Davis. They said, I thought if you went to Vanderbilt, you were supposed to be smart. What kind of idiot would foul? How would you feel to be Matthew Fisher Davis the next day, knowing that you let your teammates down? Shame. Shame takes you in one of two directions. It takes you into slavery, or it takes you into adoption. Arthur Booth was one of the smartest kids in this class at Nautilus Junior High. Across the class was a friend of his named Mindy Glazier. They played together. They hung out together. They played football together. But Arthur Booth found his way into drugs and into alcohol and slowly into petty crimes. And soon he found himself locked up into the Miami-Dade County detention system. And 35 years later, after sitting in that classroom with Mindy Glazier, this is how they met once again. Did you go to Nautilus for middle school? Oh, my goodness. You don't know what shame is? That's shame. Shame runs deeper than guilt because it gets into our blood. It's always been there. Shame is a part of us because it's part of our DNA. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with their father in heaven, and they decided to not go and do what the father asked, but to go out on their own. And they ran, and in their shame, they hid from God. 
It says in Genesis chapter 3 that they were naked and what? Were ashamed. Shame. It takes you down one of two paths. Slavery or sonship. This passage teaches us how to deal with our shame. Because it asks us a very simple question, Christian. Non-Christian. What do you do with your shame? Do you go down the path of slavery or do you go down the path of sonship? Shame is a part of every person's story. And sometimes shame can be experienced when there's no sin. This boy in the seventh grade, he didn't sin. He just wanted to help. This basketball player didn't sin. He just wanted to help his team. And he just forgot the score. That's not an issue of sin. Shame can be experienced when there's no sin involved and the consequences of another person's sin or of some other circumstance may bring you deep shame and embarrassment. But Scripture tells us that sin always brings shame. In Ezekiel 36, it shows us that there is a godly shame that should be embraced. Bad shame makes us feel bad about who we are. Good shame makes us feel bad about what we've done and calls us to account. Ezekiel says, Then I will remember your evil way, speaking the Lord's words to Israel, and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abomination. It is not your fault that I will act, declares the Lord God. Or is it not your fault that I will act? Let it be known to you. Be ashamed. Be confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. There it is, the trailhead of shame. What do you do with your shame? Slavery or sonship? A PCA pastor several months ago was driving home late one night and hit a pedestrian with his car and he killed him. What do you do with that? Shame. It takes you down one of two paths. Slavery or sonship. Shame is what a mom feels when she castigates her children. She knows she shouldn't do it, but she does it again. Shame is what a man feels when his wife catches him looking at pornography. Or even worse, when his children catch him. Shame is that feeling of conviction, and if you let it live with you and you do not take it to the gospel, it becomes an unwelcome roommate that begins to tell you that you are worth less. Shame is undoubtedly a part of every person's story. Sin brings shame, and in your shame, forgiving yourself is the hardest forgiveness. And friends, in our culture, there are, are two primary ways that we handle shame. That we handle our memories and the experiences that we've had in the past. And one of those two ways is you have a memory erasure. You simply erase the past. You move on. And Christians, many times you'll take God's word and you'll open up to passages that are beautiful and good, like Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, and you'll say, Paul says, brothers, I don't consider what I have, that I've made of my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies beyond and straining forward 
to what lies ahead. And you say, well, look, it's in the Bible. Forget your past and move on. And oh, how many clinical psychologists will tell you, just move on. But that's not what Paul means in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He's not saying move on from your painful memories. He is saying move on from the means of self-saving salvation. He's saying move on from your religious duties that you've done for many, many years in order to get God to love you, to earn his merit. Paul says please move on beyond that and know that you can only rest in the sovereign mercy of God. Nothing in your hands you bring to the table of salvation. Simply to the cross we cling. The way that many people forget the past is they just drink it away. The number one target for alcoholism is young mothers who about 3.30 or 4 o'clock before dad gets home are at their wits end and they just have got to make it two more hours. Some people use drugs to just numb the pain. You can erase your memory. And many of you know this because you have close friends who have struggled with it or you yourself have. And you are not alone in this room. The other way that we try to get rid of our shame is not by memory erasing. It's by memory denying. Just forget it. Move on. Deny it was even there in the first place. Listen, the gospel does not allow you to either erase your memories or to deny it. The gospel gives us the tools to transform your memories. All throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you, hear, you see many men and women who have struggled with extremely painful circumstances. And so if you're going to have a biblical idea or understanding of memory, then you have to recognize that God was in your past. He was in it. Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph says, listen to his brothers. He says, God meant it, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And the past might influence your present, but it does not determine your present. Because you control the interpretation of those events. And your memory of those events oftentimes is not the actual event itself. What you remember is the way you've interpreted that event. That's where my life turned and all went downhill. Or that was one of the most painful experiences of my life and God used it by his grace. Shame is a part of every person's story. Shame brings, or sin brings shame. Forgiving yourself is the hardest forgiveness. But friends, shame is also not only a part of every person's story, but that shame drives you to sonship. And sonship, knowing yourself to be a son or a daughter of the king, that is a part of every person's conversion story. Is it part of yours? We said last week, you cannot understand the doctrine, the Christian doctrine of justification by faith alone, this idea that God has taken your sin from you, forgiven you, and given you his righteousness. You can't even begin to understand that until you experience adoption in your heart, 
until you know that you are a beloved son and daughter of the king. Then you're beginning to get the gospel when you can sing and dance and look your shame in the face and say, it doesn't own me anymore because I have not walked down the path of slavery. I have walked down the path of sonship. Notice what the text says in Galatians chapter 3. It says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That means that you were brought into a new family. You were given a new name. By virtue of your adoption, you have Christ's name put on you. You are surrounded by the covenant community. They preach the gospel to you week after week after week. You have put on Christ. You've changed your raiment. You've changed your clothes. You have changed your dress. And now you're Christ's. And then look what it says right after that. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. Listen, verse 28 of Galatians chapter 3 is not talking about economics. It's not talking about gender preference. It's talking about how the gospel levels the playing field. So that the Pharisee and the publican, the churchgoer all their life, and the sinner who walks in desperate off the street are on the same level before the foot of the cross. The gospel levels the playing field, and that's what makes the gospel beautiful for us. You don't come to worship Jesus once a week because you want to be reminded of how great you are. You come to worship Jesus every week so that you can see the amazing beauty of how great your Savior is and how much you need Him because your adoption in Jesus over time only gets better. And you are confronted with that idea through your own experience, especially in the experience with shame. Shame can take you down one of two paths, slavery or sonship. Thirteen years after the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he wrote a letter to a young mentee named Timothy. And Paul becomes a kind of case study for us as an example of what he means by this. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Please listen as I read it. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though, listen to his resume of shame, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and, and an insolent opponent, but there's his trailhead, slavery or sonship, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might be might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then as Paul gives his resume of shame, he just throws himself into a benediction. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What do you do with your shame? Shame takes you down one of two paths. Slavery 
or sonship. When you see yourself as an adopted son or daughter of the king, it levels the playing field. And when that happens, as it happened in the apostle Paul's life, it deepens your repentance. Because notice what Paul says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor in 1 Timothy chapter 1, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. And listen to his confession. He's not saying, I'm sorry that I killed this person who was a Christian. He's not saying I acted ignorantly and that's it. He says what? What does he do? He takes his confession down deeper. He says, I acted in what? In unbelief. Many of us as Christians, we act in unbelief. And beneath that shame, the act of what we may have done as a deeper idol that we have coddled and that we have kept, and that we have treated almost like a pet that reminds us when we don't feel good about ourselves, we judge ourselves with respect to you know, this experience of shame and we find ourselves deeper and deeper into this negative feedback loop. But when you begin to understand that your repentance needs to go deeper than your action, it needs to go to the heart of your unbelief, then you begin to see the way out of shame. Then you begin to move off the path of slavery and onto the path of sonship. Sarah had carried a lot of anger about her mother. She didn't like her mother's counsel. She didn't listen to her mother. She chose a different college than her mother wanted her to go to. She married a man different than her mother wanted her to marry. She chose a different career path than her mom wanted her to choose. She was angry at her mother. She was angry at her mother because years before her parents got divorced and her father moved hundreds of miles away from her and she never got to see her father. And she always blamed it on her mother and it wasn't until Sarah was able to deal with the anger beneath her stubbornness and she was able to confess it that she was able to repent in a deep way and begin to come out of the shame that she felt about being a young person of a divorced family. And she was able to see herself as a daughter of the king. When you process your shame, you have a deepening repentance, ever deepening, even as the Apostle Paul gives us in a case study in 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's not all that Paul gives us. He also says you have a heightened sense of gratitude. Notice what Paul says, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It overflowed for him. If you struggle with being gracious, just sit down at your dinner table one night and ask yourself, what could have happened that day that didn't? We did that with our family this week when we had this beautiful weather and we had dinner outside and we sat down and we said, isn't this awesome? Like these days are precious before it gets blazing hot in Tulsa. What could have happened today that didn't? We could have had a wreck, one of my kids said. I could have lost my fidget spinner, another one said. It could have rained. Our house could have burned down. We could have pneumonia. We could be sick. Daddy could die. When you wrestle with your shame, 
it deepens your repentance, but it also heightens your gratitude for the things in your life that God has reserved you from. Well, God, where are you? Where is he not? Think of all the things that he has protected you from. It could be so much worse. Shame. It takes us down one of two paths, slavery or sonship. When the, le- the field is leveled before the foot of the cross, what happens? Comparison, which we are all susceptible to, it loses its appeal. Because you don't have to compare yourself anymore. Because you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, who may not, may not sound that great to you, but you know that your Father in heaven has given you everything. And that one day, someday, when you're judged at the great white judgment seat of Christ, your Savior will say to you, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, my child. And the Father will say, hey, Peter, bring out the book. And you will think, book? Peter's going to have a library on me. And they bring out a piece of paper, and the Father looks at it, and it's perfectly white like wool and Jesus says see father Jason is righteous Kathy is spotless no shame comparison loses its appeal to us so we don't have to compare ourselves to other churches we don't have to compare ourselves to other people we compare ourselves only with what God's word calls us to be in light of being his sons and his daughters and when comparison loses its appeal confession loses its stigma and you're able to say freely I am a sinner and you are no longer afraid to admit your sin with you can admit your sin without fear of rejection Because when you see yourself as an adopted son of God, it allows you to be honest. And you can admit that you're a sinner. It's okay. Join the club. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only organization in which the requirement for membership is the admission that you do not deserve membership. Shame takes you down one of two directions, slavery or sonship. A pastor embedded himself in an Alcoholics Anonymous group for six months. And he observed a woman named Kathy who he writes was, his best guess was she was 35, but she could only have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. And Kathy stood up in the meeting, this pastor says, and she says, I've been in five states in the last month. I've been homeless. I have been raped. I have been robbed. And I do not want to be homeless anymore, but I cannot stop drinking to erase the pain. I cannot stop. I cannot stop. And sitting next to her, he said, was a woman whose name was Marilyn. She was a large woman, and she stood up, and she grabbed Kathy and put her in her arms and embraced her and said, oh, honey, you just need to keep coming. You're in the right place. And Kathy, Marilyn kissed Kathy on the head, and she said, You're with us now. You're with us. The privilege of being your pastor is that you let me into the inner sanctum of your soul. And some of you, I know, have struggled with shame for a long time. 
And I just want to say to you, you are with us. And there are others in this church who are struggling with shame, deep shame also. And you just need to keep coming. Because shame takes you down one of two paths. Slavery or... Shame takes you down one of two paths. Slavery or sonship. Which is it? Your shame finds its resting place. If you're a Christian, it finds its resting place at the cross. In 1590, William Shakespeare wrote a comedy called The Taming of the Shrew. The story begins when there is a mischievous nobleman who had tricked a drunkard tinker named Christopher Sly into believing that he too was a nobleman. And this nobleman wanted to have fun with this drunk on the street, and so he put on a play for him, and it's called The Taming of the Shrew about a man named Petruchio who takes a bride who's a stubborn bride. She doesn't want to be married to this man. Her name was Katerina, and slowly he tames her. He tames the shrew, the obdurate, stubborn wife. And as she conforms by his psychological torments and manipulation, she becomes a very dutiful wife. Is that what happens to you as a Christian? No. You are not shamed into submission as a Christian. Jesus is not the ogre of a husband who psychologically torments and manipulates you to obedience. Your story is not the taming of the shrew because you are not tamed into obedience by the gospel. Jesus was shamed for you. Your story is not the taming of the shrew. It is, as it were, the shaming of the true. It is the one who was shamed for you. It is the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who found himself living at the fullness of time, born under the law, when finally the roads of the ancient Near East crossed with Europe, when Rome was able to conquer the land, and they held out what? They held out a torture device for all of those under their thumb who were to pay heavy taxes. And if you rebelled against Rome, you were put to death. And Rome's favorite means of crucifixion, of death, was crucifixion. It was so torturous, so brutal, that they wouldn't let Roman citizens be crucified. They saved it for the foreigners, for the rebellious. And they created this torture device to shame the person. It took days for them often to die. They would strip them down and they would leave them exposed and shameful before the public to say, if you don't pay your taxes, this is what happens to you. If you do not submit to the will of Rome, this too will happen to you. And friends, in your shame, Jesus was shamed for you. He was stripped so that you can be clothed in his righteousness. He was pierced so that you could be made whole, so that you could get off the path of slavery that you've run to again and again, and you can come back to the path of sonship. Slavery or sonship, which will it be? The shaming of the true. Do you see that cross? Run to it. Run to the promise that it has for you. 
long before the cross ever happened, King David committed adultery and then murdered the husband of Bathsheba. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, his good friend Nathan was such a good friend to him and told him a story about a young man who had gone and stolen the lamb from a poor farmer who only had one ewe lamb. And the story enraged David. And David said, that man should be killed. And Nathan, his good friend, such a good friend, looked at Nathan in the eye and said, David, you're the man. And David overwhelmed by his need for repentance, sat down and he wrote out Psalm 51. He had an incredible sense of the height of gratitude for which he should be thankful for God's mercy and grace in his life, and he ran to the promise. Do you run to the promise of the gospel? Oh, friends, do not erase your memory. Do not deny your memory. Allow your memory to be transformed because you control the interpretation of that memory. What was perhaps horrible to go through, God meant it for good. Shame takes you down one of two paths, slavery or sonship. C.J. Mahaney was a pastor. He had a really difficult childhood, was a crazy teenager. There's kinds of testimonies that people like to talk about in public because you see such amazing transformation in a person's life. And when C.J. Mahaney became a pastor, where did he go back? He went back to the same place where he grew up, which you might think that's tragic. He's exposed to all these memories of his shameful past. And C.J. Mahaney said, oh, don't feel sorry for me. It's wonderful. He said, many people today try to run from the past, and I suppose I could try to run as well by leaving the hometown that holds so many reminders of my sinfulness. But I consider living here a gift from God. The regular reminders of my past are precious to me. Why? Because I, like Paul, I never want to forget the great mercy shown to me. Shame takes you down one of two paths, slavery or sonship. Shame is a part of every person's story, and sonship is a part of every person's conversion story. And your shame and my shame finds its resting place where it is put to death, where it is kept forever at the foot of the cross. Run to it. Bring your shame to him. All of it. Run to the cross. Will you do that with me? It is not easy, but it gets you off the path of slavery and it gets you onto the path of sonship. You're adopted children of God. Let's live like it. The only perfect person in this room is Jesus. You can bring your shame to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to not be intimidated by the stigma of confession, but you will help us to be honest with our brokenness, and then you will help us to see that the implications of our relationship with you allow a thousand flowers to bloom, and one of those flowers that we have not let bloom is the deepening shame we feel in our hearts. And so, Father, help us, like David, like Paul, help me to take my shame to the cross and to see the one who is shamed on my behalf, even your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.